0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.
1: We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening
0: world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. And
2: welcome to Voices of Unity. I'm Ellen Debenport. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise to help you dive deep into spiritual topics and discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. Our guests come and stay for several weeks because they have a lot to share about their body of work something special that they've learned so they're not just one-time guests and we are in week four I'm afraid the final week with Reverend Patricia Galino Lansky she's the minister at unity of Charlottesville Virginia with her husband Don I was at their wedding years ago thanks for coming back Patricia (laughs) oh thank you
0: Ellen it's a pleasure to be back with you
2: We've been talking about grief. Patricia wrote a book about it called Accepting Death, Embracing Life, How Death Teaches Us to Live. And we've talked about lots of different aspects of death and grieving, but I've really been looking forward to today because this is just death. This is about what is it like to die? What's yes. it like to be with someone who's dying? What, what's reasonable to expect? Because it turns out there are some predictable patterns mm-hmm. when someone is dying. And so, Patricia, what will death be like?
0: Well, um, in essence, we don't know a 100% because life holds so many mysteries. And one of the mysteries is what will my own death be like or my loved one's death be like? But because everyone's death is going to be different. Um, Our own death will be as unique as our own unrepeatable fingerprint. But although no one can say 100% what our death will be like, there are really some predictable behaviors that do unfold that can make the dying process just less frightening. And and allow us to be better prepared for a good death, a conscious death. You know, Ellen, that's actually one of the main reasons why I wrote this book, because I went through a lot of fear about death and dying. I really, really didn't know what to expect. And as I shared with you earlier, so many of my family members were dying one after the other from long-term illnesses. And during that time, my mother was very, very conscious about what to do with people in the dying process. Although uh, the big fear for me was, what will I do when I'm the only one left with her when she's dying? And so um, I had some fear around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always, always wanted, particularly my wish for being with my mother to guide her and help her in her dying process was to be very conscious of what was going on, to be aware through her entire dying process. And in doing that, uh, of course, I was able to chronicle so much of what I witnessed. And then through that, I was able to really let go of the fear of death um because i could see these very clear parts of the process happening and once i knew what to expect more or less the fear wasn't it, it wasn't there yeah so
2: when i look back on my mother's death which was 18 years ago now i wish i hadn't been so scared uh, i yes. i wasn't sure i was doing the right thing i, I wasn't sure i was demanding enough of the doctors I, I wasn't sure what to say to her, and, and at the time, didn't think she was going to die. The doctors were, were not saying that. Yes. Uh, and I just, I kind of wish I had a do-over for that one. I wish we had talked more, although she was asleep most of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I certainly can relate to everything that you've said, and and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, um we can be empowered in this end of life process and uh i hear that that's what you were yearning for and that's what i was yearning for too i mean i i had a, a real panic experience in the midst, midst of it i thought you know i i could mess this up i i don't mm-hmm. know i don't know what she needs me to do or yeah, be yeah i don't know if i should Should I be calling people in? You know, how do I know when she's actually dying? I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I I love to relate this to another natural and normal process that we all go through, and that's birth. And, you know, I, I can't imagine how mothers and fathers could go through the birthing process if they didn't have some guidance about what to look for. I mean, it would be so scary. Terrifying. Oh,
2: my gosh.
0: If you didn't know what was happening. Yes. Well, it's like that with death and dying. There are some very clear uh, actual steps that, that the body and the psyche goes through that we can be aware of and then take that fear away from it, you know.
2: Do you have a sense of what it's like to to be the one dying? Because I've heard it's an actual battle.
0: Well, you know, one of my guides during this time was Stephen Levine. And you actually mentioned him last mm-hmm. week with his book, A Year to Live. He's written a couple of other really deep and beautiful books that helped me during this process with my mother. Uh, one is Who Dies and the other one Healing into Life and Death. And he really talks about this process of dying, that it's actually, as he describes it, a battle. There is an actual battle taking place. And he suggests that people live as fully as they can in, right into the dying process, into what he calls a right death. And this, he says, not an intellectual exercise. It's uh, one that is decided within the individual, but it's an actual battle taking place. The whole life force within the person is in conflict with the letting go of death. And it's an awesome process to witness. I could see that with my mother. You know, some days she would be so depleted, so like completely wiped out, not speaking. And then another, moment another day she would be up and saying okay well let's let's have our food today you mm-hmm. know and 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 go back and forth from that and i think for the caregiver and the people around the person it's so important to remember this battle taking place in terms of how we relate to it is how do we pray for a person who's in uh, a terminal illness you know, do we just give up and, and not pray, you know, because we think they are dying? So what is there to pray for is, you know, when the cure is no longer possible or seems possible, what do we pray for at that time? Um, you know, to keep praying for the cure when they're very near death seems Absurd, really. So,
2: so peaceful passing. Yes, I've heard it put that way.
0: That is a great one for the highest and best, mm-hmm. and also for healing. And healing, I make the distinction here as opposed to uh, not the cure, but the healing. And a healing, as we know, is a is a whole, a holistic, organic process that, to me, means that their soul will receive whatever it is that they need to have a a good death to have a peaceful passing um, to resolve whatever needs to be resolved and to let go in the best way possible so sometimes we can actually pray for healing in that way as well
2: okay so if you're the person who's with someone who's dying Mm -hmm. Or you feel like you should be with someone who's dying. What What do you do? What do they need?
0: Well, um, part of what I like to encourage people to realize is that um, if you truly feel in your heart of hearts that you, for whatever reason, do not want to be with your loved one, parent, spouse, I don't know, child, whatever it is, then... I would honor that. I would honor that. Um, of course, most people would welcome to have a child, a spouse with them when they're dying and and it's such a uh, it's such a difficult at times process for that person to navigate not having the abilities to negotiate what it is that they need or want. It's so good to have someone with them. Um, but if, you know, in certain cases, a person just has chosen not to be with their loved one, and I would say release that guilt. There might be something very organic that was there. However, if you are with a person, it is a great gift, a deep and wonderful gift that you're giving to your loved one to be there with them, to witness their process, to um, truly Uh, What I came to see is there's not really all that much that the caregiver has to do. Um, It's an inside job that the person is going through their death and and dying process. However, you want to be there to assist them with all the care that you possibly can give them with uh, communicating with the staff that's around them, hospice or hospital, wherever the person is. And... um, it's a great gift to know for that person to know that their loved one is there and they're witnessing and they're watching and a lot of what they need is that witnessing is simply as much as possible being with them you know we we talk a lot about mindfulness meditation where we're observing what is and in that process we can we can be open to that inner guidance that would say, um, you know, when my mother was in her process, uh, the nurse suggested that I not force fluids on her. Um, And I felt really uncomfortable about that because I thought, gee, I don't want her to be so thirsty that she's not receiving fluids. And so I came to a compromise with that. I put A glass of her water and her juice right next to her. And I would, I would ask if she wanted any, or it was right there in her sight if she did. And I was watching for those clues from her so that it wasn't my desire that she drink a lot, but it was my willingness to be with her to see what it is that she would want or what she would need. Mm-hmm. So it's a real, it's a real active and receptive position at the same time. They need that. They need that witnessing.
2: I want to go back mm-hmm. for a minute to not being there. Yes. Uh, we talked one of the earlier weeks about sometimes people need privacy to die, and they'll mm-hmm. wait until everyone is out of the room, or yes. it, it at least seems that they waited. But you're saying this is just choosing not to be part of the process. So, for instance, you know, not everyone who's dying was a good person. Mm. It may have been an abusive parent. It may be someone you've had a lot of conflict with. Is that what you're talking about? You may just choose not to be there.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes. And and to be there uh, with all of that conflict that never was uh, resolved might be more difficult for the person dying as well as the the loved one you know to be there with all of that unfinished business
2: oh that's interesting yeah because we love to think of these deathbed healings you know where all is forgiven and Mm. I, i know it happens sometimes but not always
0: yes you're right you're right and um it can happen because uh you know when when death comes face to face with you um these are the things that are most important, um, and you know, people often say on a deathbed, uh, most people are not having any regret, wishing that they had put aside more money for their retirement. You know, they <laughs> they they're more interested in, you know, did I love? Was did I make a connection with people? Did I did I do what I was here to do? Mm-hmm. You know. So, uh, and, you know, sometimes these relationships are so complex that uh, you don't want to necessarily add more discomfort to the person who is dying right. by, by that.
2: So I've heard you say that there are predictable, uh, there's a predictable pattern to death. Yes. And it starts months in advance.
0: Yes, it's really true. Um, yes, about one 3 to even one month before death and these um these ideas are what i witnessed they're also what hospice has put together because obviously they have a huge body of information mm-hmm. that they can draw on so it's it seems to be pretty on the mark now keep in mind there's not everybody does all of this but but a lot of it is probably true so three months to one month before death, you, you may see in your loved one a withdrawing from life. This, is, um, this was surprising to me. I mean, I didn't know any of this with my mom, but my mother was such a gregarious person. She loved to just talk with people, be with people, and um, towards these last months of her life, Um, she did not want visits from her friends and Hmm. some of the neighbors. And I thought, wow, that is so strange. But now I understand, you know, she was withdrawing. And I think it's also normal. You don't have all the energy that you used to have. So you may want to just spend that time resting or being with uh, more immediate family members. But that was surprising to me. Um, of course there's decreased appetite and weight loss because they're not eating as much. Um, they're really sleeping more and letting go of activities that they used to enjoy. Um, I knew my mother was near the end when, um, (laughs) we joked about this, but she used to love watching dynasty, which was one of those Mm -hmm. soap operas, you know, Yes, (laughs) and, uh, one night, she, she just was so tired, she didn't even want to watch Dynasty. And I thought, oh my gosh, oh. that's huge, you know. Yeah. Um, um, and also something I want to really encourage people to realize, a lot of times with these elongated uh, dying processes, usually from cancer and other things, they will um, stop eating and then stop drinking. And I worried about that a lot because, uh, you know, I didn't know again. And I thought maybe she's going to be suffering more because she's not eating or drinking. And what I found out is that the body produces a mild sense of euphoria at this time. And I realized, uh, I believe the hospice people told me that she was not suffering by not eating like we would if we missed, you know, if we missed a day or we missed uh-huh. five days or whatever. Um, so that is very, very reassuring um, for the the caregiver and the people around them. And before, you know when when this all starts, this is a really, really good time to encourage a life review process, to to talk with them about, their life and memories, happy memories that they had and um, different things like that, Uh, this may be a time that they might make amends or you might make amends with them. Um, It's a time to have some talking because in no time at all, they will not be able to talk. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you want to have those conversations um, when you can And then um, about one to two weeks before death, there's another shift, and you'll see that they're sleeping most of the time. Um, They may have changes in perception where they're not really seeing so well. Um, They may have uh, lowering of body temperature, blood pressure lowers, their pulse may slow down, Um, their circulation may slow down so their skin color may change. The breathing changes here where it becomes more rapid or labored um, and the extremities may feel cold to the touch. And uh, that's because the um, circulation's slowing down and the energy kind of uh, comes together at the heart. And so the extremities are not getting as much of the flow of the blood, so they can feel cold or cool. And speaking decreases and then finally stops here. And um, I want to tell you about something else at that time that um, is something that people don't understand usually, and that is what has been labeled as end-of-life hallucinations.
2: That's exactly what I was about to ask.
0: Oh, yes. When they start
2: seeing people you can't see.
0: Yes, exactly. And I really do not, do not like that term. It seems like hallucinations means, you know, that you have something mentally wrong with you mm-hmm. if you have hallucinations. So I've renamed it, and I call it Sacred Visitations. Great. That's what it seems to be. Um, my mother went through that, and it was as if, um she did well she did speak about seeing the other people there and she said to me um, get food ready the people are here you know uh-huh. be a good hostess uh-huh. <laughs> and um and she had a whole theme of uh, of these um, spirit sacred visitations when she said the people are coming now and i've got to get ready and I want you to go into the back room and take care of the baby. Get the baby ready because we're going to have to go out pretty soon. And um, I just, uh, you know, I, I went with it. You do, you do not have to counteract it or contradict it by any means. Um, and to me, her words were so poetic about the dying process itself mm-hmm. because she was the one that we were getting ready to take out, and she was being a baby born into the new life, you know. And Ooh, uh, yeah. it was uh, it was really beautiful to hear that. See, I um, have
2: no trouble believing that they may be seeing souls that have gone before, yes, and that those those people, loved ones, show up to usher mm-hmm. them to the other side.
0: Absolutely, and it's um, you know a lot of times this came to me that. Uh, we hear, you know, go to the light and you may encounter other souls who have passed that know Mm -hmm. you or don't know you, but they'll be helping you to come into the light. And uh, I had a a congregant who uh, was just very helpful in terms of understanding this, that it's actually a process that's happening. It's not like a one-time thing, your heart stops and then you go, and that's where the the spirits are. The spirits are there in the process while you're getting ready to die, because mm-hmm. it is a process.
2: I love, I love believing that, and I'm sort of assuming, Patricia, that you believe there is a soul that goes on living after the body stops.
0: I really do. I really do, and and uh, I'll talk more about that. I have a lot of a uh, lot of information about that in terms of. Even the near-death experiencers, who have supposedly gone and come back. <laughs> okay,
2: so we we have about two and a half minutes. Can you talk about the psychological stages of dying?
0: Yes, there's a another one thing I wanted to share with you about that clear process. A couple of days to hours before the death, uh, it's not uncommon to have a brief surge of energy near to death, and I shared with mm-hmm. you about my father. Not everybody has that. Right. Um, or their surge of energy might be less noticeable. The breathing slower. Sometimes the breathing stops. And not knowing that, I thought, is she dead? You know, I didn't know. But then the breathing would come back. And sometimes, very often, there is what's called a rattling breathing called the death rattle. Mm-hmm. This is so important to know about because it sounds... Very loud, and sounds very scary, if you don't know what it is. But it is really simply congestion in the airways. It is in their airway. It is not hurtful to them, they're not suffering with it, but it is um, a great indication that death is very, very near. And then finally the breathing will stop, so does the heart. And then death has occurred. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do they
2: have to... Does there have to be some kind of conscious surrender to let this happen? Because, you know, we talk about people, oh, he's hanging on, or he's really fighting
0: it. Yes. Yes, there is. There is. And uh, not everybody can... Have that ability to surrender um, that's why you know last week we talked so much about practicing letting go because
2: mm-hmm.
0: we will need to let go in life and in death and the more that you're able to let go into it the easier it will be
2: yeah we talked about impermanence yes. and living knowing that whatever is right now will not last whether you love it or not. True. Yeah. true. yeah. So it's about time for a break. There's just okay. so much to say on this topic. That's
0: true.
2: But this is Ellen Devenport. I'm here with Patricia Galino-Lansky. We're talking about death and dying and grief. And it's been a fascinating series. And we have another section coming up after these messages.
1: Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support.
0: Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly to heal from them as we must. As we are willing to
2: be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny, as we move successfully through these experiences, we will
0: find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant... And those things that are challenging and painful and difficult are drivers for your own evolution. To find
2: a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org.
1: Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all! Take a trip with Rev. Paul John Roach every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central and tune in to World Spirituality. A lifelong student and practitioner of many world spiritual teachings, Paul guides you to the unity and common values shared by all world religions. We really are all connected. Take a journey with Paul and explore our planet's spiritual landscape with insight, humor, and practical advice for all. Join the show with your question or comment right here on Unity Online Radio.
0: Call now with your question or comment, 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport.
2: We are back with Voices of Unity. This is Ellen Debenport. I'm here with Patricia Galino-Lansky who is a co-minister at Unity of Charlottesville in beautiful Virginia. Patricia, one more time, because not everyone might listen to every show, tell people how to find out more about you.
0: Well, thanks, Ellen. Yes, um, I have a website called embracingyourlife.net. And uh, if you go on that website, you can purchase my book, Accepting Death, Embracing Life, How Death Teaches Us to Live. And also, I have put on that website um, little blog pieces about questions that you can take to go even further into the topics that we've covered on these four weeks. So uh, allow yourself, if you'd like to do that, to go on that website and check out the different blogs. I have four distinct ones to go with these four weeks. And like Ellen said, I'm co-minister at... Unity of Charlottesville in Virginia with my beloved husband, Reverend Don Lansky, and we have a celebration service every Sunday at ten thirty. So if you're in Charlottesville, beautiful Charlottesville, come and see us. We'd love to to meet you and uh, you know say you heard us on Unity Online Radio. It'd yeah. be great to meet you. <laughs> yes.
2: So it's interesting to me that we're so averse to talking about death, thinking about dying. And you're saying the more you know about death and dying, the better you can live.
0: Mm, it's so true, Ellen. It really is. And, and this actually happened for me, that once death was real, and I did not have to fear it so much because I understood the process that's involved with it, um, there's, a, there's a real, clear, understandable, predictable things that happen when we're dying. And and knowing that freed me up. It also placed um, the inevitability of the end of life right in, in the midst of my life. So that helped me to know that, you know, whatever time I have, because none of us really knows when we will die. We only know that all of us will eventually die. But whatever time I have, it's so, so much more precious to me knowing that it is finite and and there's things i want to do things i want to accomplish people i want to be with and interact with and get to know and love and all of that and that this is the time to do it (laughs) right now is when we have the time Mm -hmm.
2: but so let's say the day comes when you get the dreaded diagnosis Mm. that there's no or they say there's no more they can do yes what happens then
0: Well, there are not only physical um, signs, behaviors that happen, there are psychological and spiritual stages in dying as well. And I love this from uh, Kathleen Dowling Singh, who wrote a book called The Grace in Dying. She identified these three stages, and I agree with her 100%. The first stage is chaos. Chaos, when you learn of... The diagnosis, for instance, when we learned of my mother's diagnosis, it was uh, such a shock because um, she was such a vital person, and to to hear that she had cancer and that she was um, not given long to live—I I believe they gave her six months at that time—it mm. was like, what? You know, I mean, your mind just goes into disbelief and, and denial and chaos chaos as well. Um, so that is part of, of what happens. After a while, and of course this is true for the person who's dying, not just the family, the person who's dying then, the next phase would be surrender to what is. And this is why our practice of letting go, and, and I would say also meditation practice as well, meditation can help us in our life in so many, many ways. Um, it can also help us to consciously let go into a meditative state. And the more that we do that, it's, it becomes comfortable, it becomes easy to do that. I believe that is very, very similar to the surrendering in dying. And in fact, um, the Buddhist monks practice uh, with certain prayers, for death and they are encouraged to sit in their lotus meditation sitting up practice when they are dying and simply go into their meditative practice and they they die you know they're supported a bit um but they die sitting up in their meditative stance you know in their lotus posture so that kind of surrender to what is um is what all of us can do. And, uh, and then the third phase is transcendence. And this comes in the very act of dying, where we are literally transformed. We, our soul merges with spirit. Our body is separated from, from our soul. Uh, we are transformed. We no longer need the body, and that soul goes on. And I like to think of this dying as a process of the body and soul separating, the reverse of birth, where the body and soul united. So um, these psychological processes, when we when we know that you know we can let go, we can just know that there's nothing, absolutely nothing to fear in dying. You will not be alone. You will not be alone, and you will not be lost.
2: So before we wrap up this series, I want to be sure to talk about unusual experiences. Like, we hear about it from near-death experiences. Yeah, uh, You yes. know, there was a light, there were people there, but those are the people who came back. So uh, what do mm-hmm. you know about this?
0: <laughs> well, um, one thing that I want to uh, just share with you, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier about one of my congregants, Uh, Ed. Um, I learned so much from him. Uh, I had worked with him the last two years of his life because he knew that he had a diagnosis and he really wanted to complete a lot of things um, before he died. And uh, we always talked about that idea of when you die, make sure that you go towards the light, you know, and that was suggested to my mother by the hospice nurse. I mean, many people have have heard about that. So uh, I was with Ed the night before he died and um, he had shared with me that he felt that he had already moved into the spirit realm a few times, uh, kind of like he was going back and forth. And that what he experienced was the light um, and like it was very warm and comforting, very soothing there. And then he knew that he had nothing to fear. And he told me that he had visited that other realm on three occasions, and that he had been surrounded by many lights of different hues. Then they kind of made a mosaic of light around him, surrounding him. And he noticed that every so often, the every light or so would move. He realized that they were beings, and that behind them was a Bigger and greater, brighter light that he felt was God, and Mm -hmm. he said there was a a sense of learning that he felt he was learning something by experiencing these 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 beings. And um, so, the night before he died, I I whispered to him, "Don't forget to go toward the light." And he opened his eyes. Now, keep in mind, this is right before death. People are not talking. They're not responding. He opened his eyes wide, looked at me, and his mouth pursed as he emphatically whispered to me, I am there. I am in the light. Ooh. Ooh. It was so beautiful. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So it is a process, a process of maybe putting your toe in the water and then coming back on the shore, you know? And and then putting your foot in the water and coming back on the shore. And uh, I mean, it was was an amazing confirmation. So that was unusual. That was an unusual experience. Um, Of course, these end of life hallucinations and the death rattle can seem very unusual. And another thing that I noticed is as a person moves close to death, There is an energy in the room with them, a palpable energy in the person and then in those around the person. And I believed it was the thinning of the veil between the earthly reality and the reality of the spirit realm. And what I noticed, particularly with my mom, was accompanying this increased spiritual energy, it was like it was flooding her room. I noticed there was also increased creativity, awarenesses, ability, and beauty. And to me, it was as if the the door to the other world was beginning to open to receive my loved one, and the divine energy and light was just peeking through the opening to help the dying person to transform from that solid human form and to separate soul from body. I could feel the power of those divine rays, so to speak, in her room. And I I tried to describe it to the best of the ability of words, but I could feel this light pouring in, and it was like waves of light kind of flooding the room. And like the, like a smell of roses would permeate every inch, it was like that light was there. It was as if we were submerged in a dense water, like a thick substance that still allows you to breathe. But the water was filling the room like water would fill a fish tank. And the room was without walls, but there was a, a darkness towards the edge of the walls. and I I experienced increased creativity in myself from being in that place with her. Oh. I I I I wrote a song uh, for her. I had never written a song or even thought about writing a song before that. I I drew her face. I I was not an artist, but somehow this this energy of kind of like um, condensed spirit energy was there, and and it just uh, assisted me, and and I'm sure it was assisting her as well. That's re- so
2: really interesting. I never heard anyone describe that before.
0: Yeah. So and it um, went on
2: for a while. Sounds like yes,
0: it really did. The last I'd say the last day and a half of her life, particularly when the when the the rattle when the death rattle started. Mm -hmm. That's when um, I was, I started singing her song uh, over her death rattle. I mean, it was, was amazing. It was amazingly beautiful.
2: Yeah.
0: And there's a, there's a a beautiful, beautiful, I bet he's a saint. Um, Maybe you know him, Bede Griffith. The Mm -hmm. first name is spelled B-E-D-E. And he was, um, also named Swami Dayananda. He was a British-born Benedictine monk and priest who lived in ashrams in southern India and became a noted yogi. And uh, he speaks about the experience of death also. Um, At one point in his life, he felt like he was having a stroke. And uh, so he just imagined that he was about to die. So he prepared in the way that his his religion taught him to do. He said, he said his prayers that were appropriate for dying. And he said in the midst of it, he had this experience of surrender. And he said it was specifically surrender to the Divine Mother came to him, it just came to him. And he said what he then experienced through that surrender was a tremendous gift It was a wave of love that absolutely overwhelmed him. And he actually did not die because he, you know, talked about this afterwards, but he said that surrendering, when he realized when everything else goes, you you can find and touch into this tremendous love that is truly within you. And by that surrender, you're allowing it to be around you and all part of you. And he said, he was taken into a total unconditional love. And he said, there was nothing to fear. Uh, He said, not everybody can do that kind of surrender. But if you can, that is what you will experience. Total unconditional love.
2: You know, I've thought for a long time that I'd I'd prefer to die fast mm-hmm. and um, not be awake or something, but I don't know, maybe there's something to be said for drawing it out a bit and going through the process consciously if you
0: can. I, I really think so, and that consciousness is, as I believe, the most important part of it. Um, it's, uh, and if anyone dies suddenly, you know, a lot of times they're more confused about what has happened and uh, I my feeling is if if the if our culture was more prepared for death um, those sudden deaths might not be as um, disorienting as what they sometimes are for Mm -hmm. some souls so you know if car crash or something and then you realize oh well, I guess I'm dead, you yeah, know, but, uh. <laughs> you know, and uh, um, and then you could you can move into that with some surrender as well. Um, so these uh, you mentioned these near death experiencers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I I find them fascinating, and we actually have um, uh, have in our community we've had Dr. Eben Alexander okay. uh, wow. speak. Yeah, he's a neurosurgeon, uh, spoke to us about his near-death experience. And, and we have a very prolific and well-renowned uh, near-death ex- uh, experiencer and researcher in our community also, TMH oh. uh, Atwater. And she's got many, many books on the subject and has done so much research on it. So um, what I've learned from them is that there is – Essentially, you know, some people do see the brilliant white light. Some people see loved ones. There is always a deep sense of peace and calm and quiet. And um, those that have been resuscitated and uh, requested to come back to Earth and finish what they are supposed to do in this lifetime, some of them have described that they didn't, really want to go back because there was such peace yes. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also often describe going to a place like a library where they were able to have more complete knowledge uh, or an opportunity for more complete knowledge so so that they felt that uh, we might learn answers to questions that we have here on earth and we don't have the answers. Um but essentially, all of them felt that their consciousness went on beyond the body. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, mystics have shared about this information for millennia. You know, uh, if you read any of the uh, mystic poets, the Rumi and, and those uh, in medieval times and the Christian mystics, they, they all talk about, you know, this this essence that does go on beyond, beyond the physical, beyond our, our physical life. Um, So I think that's really great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and
2: I think that the proliferation of near death experiences, and I don't know if there are more of them now or it's just more acceptable to talk about them. Yes. But they've made me a lot less afraid of death. And what happens afterwards, that it's just going to be peace and love like I can't imagine Mm -hmm. and go toward the light.
0: That's that's what I hear from them as well. Um, What I've seen also is there can be a whole variety of experiences within that, I'm sure, you know, uh, because the soul is still um, moving in the right direction towards more growth, more understanding more expression. So, you know, each soul is so different, um, but everything is designed with with that, with the soul in mind, you know, for what would be the highest and best and what would be the next step on their journey. So, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, which, yeah, so it's, yeah, go ahead. Which
2: sometimes is coming back. One of my favorite near-death stories is from our mutual friend, Ed Townley, oh, who is a yes. unity minister in Connecticut. And it's a whole long story, but when he was on the other side, they had to just insist that he come back. And he didn't want to. And he really argued with them. And if you know Ed, you can imagine that. uh, Yes. With these beings who were saying, you're not finished, really, you've got to go back. And he, oh, he didn't want to. And they finally said, we promise you it will never be this bad again. Oh. Oh. And he said it hasn't been. His life since then has gotten better and better.
0: Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely. I, I also want to share that um, a consoling thought that I've seen over all of these years since my mother and father have died and my brother and so forth, that um, people don't realize this. They think death is the end and that's the end, you know. And what I have seen is that your relationship with your loved one can continue to evolve if you if you want it to. Um, and the way I can understand this is if you ever have a friend, I'm sure we all do, that you don't see that often, um, yet your relationship with them is so um, clear in your heart and in your mind that you feel you could pick up with them right where you left off. Mm-hmm. You have people like that, Ellen, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's I feel it's the same thing with our loved one. Uh, they who has died. you know, if if the relationship, I mean, I will I only have one mother this lifetime, you know, and my relationship with my mother is what it is. And it it is real still in my heart, even though I haven't seen her <laughs> in a long time. but the relationship with her is real. Um, there's no time or distance in spirit and or in love. And um, as the love expands our souls, it remains in our souls for all eternity. The love and the connection remains. And, you know, you you shared earlier about being at Don and my wedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was such a glorious day, obviously, uh, to marry the love of my life. And um, before the service, I was really missing my mother oh. um, because uh, she never got to meet Don. He didn't meet her. And, uh, you know, times like that mm-hmm. um, are really um, can be very sad. And yet I felt on some level she knew that I was marrying this wonderful man. You know, and uh, and it was reassuring to me that that could be possible. You know that if, in fact, she is an eternal soul, she is still someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, in the ethers, in the other dimension, fourth dimension, or what, however you want to say it. And and there's consciousness there, and there's there's understanding, and to me. It consoled me to know that somehow she knew some of it. I'm sure she did.
2: You know, there's another show on the network called Messages of Hope. Suzanne Geisman is a medium
0: Mm.
2: and a a former Navy commander. She's the most unlikely medium. But that's one of her main messages is that they're still right here. We just can't see them, but they're very close and they're very aware of Mm. what's going on with us. And I love thinking about that.
0: I do too. I do too, and uh, and it's very reassuring to me, and I and I'm sure to other people. Um, okay, and
2: we have. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but we have about two yes. minutes left. Okay, and rather than just let time run out, I wondered if you can wrap up these four weeks, or if you have parting thoughts.
0: Well, I would love to say. My intention was, and I hope that it's true for whoever has listened, that you could see a possibility of moving into your dying time with curiosity and anticipation about what you are to experience rather than fear and dread. Mm -hmm. And that facing death without the fear hanging over you can help you to cherish life and live your life more fully. Um, accepting death has taught me that and we all have that power within us that is greater, we have a power within us that is greater than any circumstance in life I looked death in the face finally and I became stronger and you can do the same thing as well with the unrepeatable beauty of life I ask you to ask yourselves these kind of questions what will you do, how will you be with The rest of the hours left in this day, how will you be with it? And again, uh, Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets, said it this way. What is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life?
2: Wild and precious life. I love that line. (laughs) Mary Oliver. Yeah. She's on the other side, and I'm sure she's aware we're talking about her. yes (laughs) Patricia thank you so much for doing this series it's been wonderful so much to listen to thank uh, you so much and digest and I'll go back and listen to it some more I'm sure Uh, Uh, it's been great to have you Patricia Galino Lansky you can find her at embracingyourlife.net
0: yes that's right okay and And Ellen thank you for this work that you're doing in the world I really appreciate it and you're You're a lovely host and so easy to be with. Thank Thank you. you.
2: Thanks. We'll be back next week with more from Voices of Unity.
0: Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.